You're listening to the Good Being Podcast. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Being Podcast, where we explore this mystery of being human and how we might live a life with more creativity and self-expression and compassion and all the other things that make this life worth living. Today's episode is about the story of I in quotations. Why I in quotations? Well, I think it's a concept that we don't actually really interrogate very often. We carry a lot of assumptions into what we mean when we say I. I first kind of really started considering this as a topic worth thinking about through Alan Watts, who was a fantastic writer and and speaker and and a self-described spiritual entertainer. I know that for many of us, this doesn't seem on its face like a topic that's maybe worth investigating, because it seems so self-evident what you mean when you say I. I am a person. I make choices. I do things. I move around. I do this. I do that. It seems like, what do you mean? I know who I am. I am me. But what is me? What do we really mean by this? There is this uh, mystery, I think, that is at the heart of consciousness, the, the heart of awareness itself, that unless you really look at it, can sort of remain hidden. And so that's what we're going to try and look at today. I think the majority of us, especially those of us who are living in the quote-unquote Western world, we experience ourselves as mostly existing in our heads. We have bodies, but we don't really identify with them. You say, this is my arm, this is my leg. Our language itself betrays the fact that we don't really feel identified with our bodies in the same sense as we feel identified with our egos or our thinking mind, for example. In all honesty, what we really feel identified with is basically just our voluntary actions. The things that we choose to do, we feel like that's us. but everything else we feel as though it's just things that are happening to us even the things that are happening inside of our own bodies we don't feel like we are beating our own hearts we don't feel like we are growing our own hair these are more things that are happening to us than things that we're doing and as such we don't really feel like it's us one of the things i talk a lot about is that we feel really separate from the world. We don't really feel continuous with it. We feel as though we have come to this place, this overwhelming place that we call the world, reality, nature, however you want to describe it, but we are not really inherently, deeply and truly part of it. That it's out there and I am in here. And by in here, I mean inside my body. 
One of the lessons that I learned studying biology in university is that you can't really describe an organism without also describing the environment it finds itself in. This is also known as ecology. Uh, and this applies to us as human beings as well. Our story of ourselves is also informed by our stories of the world because they're not really separate stories. They are different sides of the same story. One of my favorite examples is just a simple tree. How do you define or describe a tree? It's really an idea, a label that we place upon a pattern that we recognize. Because is a tree just the visible part that you see coming out of the ground? The trunk and all the branches and the leaves? But what about the roots? Just because you can't see them, does that mean it's not part of the tree? But then if you're thinking about the roots, what about the soil? What about the fungal network that connects the roots of each tree to all the other trees that are around it? There's no real clean and easy way to actually separate out what is tree from what is environment. They go together, they arise mutually. Okay, so some of you are probably saying, sure, 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 fair enough, but I'm not a tree. I'm not stuck, rooted in the ground somewhere. I have borders. My skin is what actually separates me from the world. Of course, ignoring the fact that your skin is completely porous, and every single time that you breathe in, you're taking the outside world and making it part of you, and you're continually giving of yourself to the world every time you breathe out. In any case, having skin does not mean that you are actually separate from the world in any meaningful sense, other than the one that's created by your own mind. So, what is our story of the world? if we're going to start there. Many of us, maybe even most of us, especially in the Western part of the world, have a sense that the world is made out of some kind of basic stuff. And this applies whether you're a materialist or a theist or or whatever. Um, You might think that, yes, God made the world and he created it and... Just, uh, there's even a a Christian song about um, God being the potter. As if the world is made of clay and through God's intention, he shaped it into what it is. And if you're a materialist, then you think that at the base layer of reality is some kind of basic physical thing that through its relationship with other physical things creates order and structure out of, I don't know what really, to be honest with you, but that's the assumptions that we're bringing to it, as if the world is a construction. Whether or not there's an intention behind it is, well, that's a point of disagreement. But it's important to recognize that these are models and ways of interpreting experience. They're not inherent to our experience of the universe either. They're just ways of thinking about it. We can also consider that this is a universe that actually grows 
And if we look back on the history of how the universe has unfolded, that seems to be maybe a, a metaphor that is more apt and more representative of what we can actually observe and experience of how the universe works. It seems to grow in complexity over time with this principle that is often referred to as emergence. Emergence is a concept that exists in multiple disciplines, including philosophy and science and art. And it describes this pattern that we seem to see over and over again, where behaviors and properties that don't exist at lower levels of a system exist at higher levels of a system when those lower levels uh, increase in complexity. Think about a colony of ants, and you see how each individual ant behaves, and yet the colony is so organized and coordinated. Or a school of fish or a flock of birds, and how the patterns they make with their movements is so complicated and beautiful. Or about how oxygen and hydrogen can come together to make one molecule of water and how these molecules can come together to make rivers and oceans, or how individual cells group together to make organs and tissues and organ systems, and, and these come together to make you. But there is an inherent mystery there because it doesn't seem like this should be possible. And yet this principle seems built into the universe itself. So why am I talking about this? Could it be possible that in the same way that an individual cell is actually part of a larger system that makes up a human being, could we as individuals be also part of something larger like this entire universe? I often describe or think about the universe less like a container full of things and more like one thing expressing itself in countless different ways. So why should we and why do we feel alienated from this world of emergent phenomena, one of which is ourselves? I really do think that it comes back to our definition of ourselves and how we limit it to essentially our voluntary actions. Because if that's the case, then it's very easy to see how we spend most of the time feeling like the world is pushing us around and we have to react to it because we're not really part of it. Most of what we experience is just things that happen to us and not things that we are quote unquote doing. But like we mentioned earlier, is your heart beating or are you beating it? Is it happening to you or are you doing it? Maybe the only real distinction is one that we actually create in our minds and there isn't really a difference. In removing that separation that we have from the world, we find that the things that we do are actually an expression of the entire universe. In the same way as when an individual wave 
crashes upon the shore. It's an expression of the entire ocean. This feels like a good time to talk about today's daily delight. And I'm currently drinking an Earl Grey tea as I work on this podcast. And that's my delight for today. Um, people who know me well know that I'm a big fan of a daily tea. Well, multiple teas a day, if I'm being honest. Um, and it's just something that I have come to really appreciate over the years, possibly because of my English background. But the experience of really being present for drinking tea, for the fragrance and the warmth, um, and just the overall experience of it, it's something that grounds me and, and brings me some joy every single day. Um, if you're a tea drinker, cheers to you. Um, I enjoy coffee too on occasion, so maybe that's something that you want to be grateful for or delight in um, today or this week as well. So that's uh, today's daily delight. So we've spoken a little bit about the world and how it can really be seen as one thing expressing itself in multiple forms and how we are as individuals part of that expression of a larger whole. But how do we actually start to get a sense of this in our experience? I mentioned earlier about how most of the time our sense of self comes from voluntary actions or what we notice as voluntary actions. And I think this can be a really interesting place to start experimenting with our awareness and what we are aware of when it comes to the things that we're doing or our sense of self. Because we are so often distracted by the things that we're doing, by the things that are happening to us, or by our thinking mind, we fail to notice that there's something in us that is just aware of all of these different things that arise in our conscious experience. When we can take a little bit of a step back and stop identifying with the things that are happening to us, the things we're doing, or our thoughts, then we can feel a little bit of spaciousness in that there is a part of us that is always open and receiving everything that we are aware of. But this place within us that is open to receiving is not identical with the part of us that is actually making choices. It's the part of us that becomes aware of the choices that we make. You ever find yourself doing something and then wondering, wait a minute, what am I doing? Or why am I doing this? It's like one part of you notices that some other parts of you are just kind of running on autopilot. I know this definitely happens to me. Um, sometimes it can be as simple as walking into a room and then just not realizing why you're there. Oftentimes, I've found that this happens when we are too identified with thoughts, with our thinking mind. 
And because of that, we get totally subsumed in our own heads and fail to notice the rest of what's going on in our experience. And we fail to hold our intentions or the intentions behind our actions in our consciousness, and so they get lost. As we mentioned in an earlier episode, the thinking mind is incredibly powerful, and it's a fantastic tool. But in these sorts of situations, it can actually leave us disconnected from our full-bodied experience. And our full-bodied experience also has a lot of wisdom within it. It's inherited millions of years of evolution, of trial and error, of learning. And it often knows things that our thinking mind doesn't know. Our bodies know that it is part of the world much more than our thinking mind does. Our thinking mind is designed to take the world as a whole and break it down into intelligible, independent, bite-sized kind of pieces, really. It's about making distinctions, about distinguishing this from that in order to help us navigate the world. This is a beautiful and brilliant thing, but when we become too enamored or reliant on our thinking minds for navigating the world, then we start to believe that its artificial distinctions are actually the way the world is. It's like putting a ruler over the world to measure it and then thinking that the world is made up of individual measurements. But if we stop and ask ourselves, how is this individual thing that I'm noticing actually connected to other things, which are connected to other things, which is connected to the rest of the world, then we can start to get a sense of the interconnected nature of absolutely everything. We're only scratching the surface of this topic, and it's probably one that's going to come up a lot, um, as it's something that I love to kind of think about and talk about and find new ways of describing um, in practical ways so that we can kind of start thinking about ourselves as part of this interconnected whole and how can we use that to inform the kind of choices that we make and the way that we move and exist in the world as well. And we will end today's podcast with a short quote from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who was a theologian and scientist who wrote extensively on both science and spirituality. And his quote is from his work, The Phenomenon of Man. And it says, The farther and more deeply we penetrate into matter by means of increasingly powerful methods, the more we are confounded by the interdependence of its parts. The Good Being Podcast is a project by The Good Being Company. All music and production by yours truly, Boa Ganaba. Thanks for listening.